0: Well, good evening and welcome to our new series on Galatians. It's our hope that as we move through this series, you'll learn and grow in your faith as we read this account of godly counsel and advice that Paul offers to the churches in Galatia. These churches were located in an area that we would recognize as Turkey. and It's believed that this letter uh, was most likely written to the churches in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra and Derbe. The churches which Paul established on his first missionary journey uh, to Galatia, as we have recorded in Acts 13 and 14. It was most likely that Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians very early, around AD 48, we believe. And as we read through Galatians, it's obvious that Paul is more critical or seems a little bit harsher than what he normally is when addressing um, these people in these other letters. (coughs) Most agree. This is because of his close personal ties to these churches and how he is gravely concerned for their future and their faith. He knows and he cares for them personally and individually. And he writes because there's a number of false teachers who've come into the church and have convinced the believers that they have to be circumcised and have to follow certain teachings of Israel or Judaism. And so Paul expresses his shock that the Galatians would so quickly desert the one true gospel. So what happened? Why would they accept what Paul had said, the gospel message that he originally proclaimed, and then accept something else which appears to be counter to what Paul taught? There's some value in having a look at that just a little bit and um Paul goes to great lengths to refute the arguments of the false teachers that he calls confusers and agitators. And these are men who are claiming um, at the very least, or at the very least, sorry, insinuating um, that Paul's apostleship was self-appointed, that it was something given to him by men. Um, And it's obvious that neither his call or the message he proclaims is of God. That was the stand that these guys had taken. And that seems crazy. But as we read, it is obvious that the message of Paul's opponents was both appealing and some way convincing to these Galatian believers. Part of the reason was that the Galatians had this desire to be established and rooted in an ancient religion. They wanted to have a history. They wanted to have an attachment to the promises given to Abraham. And another weakness was that they wanted to receive clear moral guidance. And this teaching, which was counter to the true gospel, provided both of these things for them. The exclusivity of the Jewish lifestyle was actually appealing to many people. And if these new believers took on the Jewish way of life, then they would belong to one of the most ancient religions. And they would also have great moral guidance through the study and application of the laws of Moses. But Paul writes to refute the need for such things. He emphasizes that Christ's death has brought in the age of the new covenant. There is no need for people to become Jews or to follow the ceremonies and multiple laws that they actually taught. To to require things like this denies the central message of the gospel, which is that justification, being put back into right relationship with Christ and that that justification uh, comes through faith alone, not by keeping works or laws or anything like that it is a new covenant it's all about Christians living under the guidance and power of Holy Spirit living in grace and this letter is Paul addressing all of those issues and he wants to reveal the incredible grace that God shows through salvation and explain the freedom that God's people have because of that grace he uses the example of his own life to demonstrate how God can deliver each of us from bondage through faith in Jesus. He explains the relationship between law and grace and then gives his readers an explanation of the freedom that that grace provides and that what they can experience in their own lives each and every day. And the freedom he speaks of is the freedom we have to become all we can be in Jesus Christ. We are not free to do whatever we please. We are free to be his and his alone. And as Paul would tell it, if he could, and as I will tell you, the life we live is one that is incomparable. To be found and to know I am in the middle of God's will, regardless of outward circumstances and experiences, is one of the most freeing, liberating, encouraging and humbling experiences I've ever had. And I'm sure if Paul could tell you he would tell you exactly the same thing and I believe that's what Paul is trying to convey to these Galatians so why would they give up why would you let's just pause and pray father I thank you for your presence with us I thank you for your love your grace your power that you pour out upon us so freely and Lord, we come to hear from you and so i ask lord that you will speak clearly through this message this evening That people will hear your voice by power of holy spirit and that they will respond to that lord drawing closer to you doing whatever they need in order to honor and glorify you with their very lives and we pray this now father in jesus name and for his sake amen As we begin looking at the passage tonight, this verses 1 to 10, think about what is happening. Everything's beginning to come to a head in the Galatian churches. There are these false teachers opposing all that Paul has said. And in reality, they're opposing Paul himself and questioning his authority, as well as the truth of the message that he did proclaim to the Galatian church. And it's quite obvious as we read through this that some of the people in the Galatian churches are being swayed by this. But Paul, with God's help and the power of the Holy Spirit, speaks to them in authority. Think about the grumblings that are going on in the church. There's mutterings against Paul. And no doubt those mutterings would be extended to those who are like-minded with Paul, who are teaching the same things. If they're speaking against Paul, they're going to speak against any teacher that teaches the same thing. And so it's into this situation that Paul writes. He holds himself in check. It's like there's a restraint here. He doesn't say everything that he possibly would like to say. And as he writes, he's writing under the power of Holy Spirit. But his words are firmly against these false teachers as they seek to lead these believers astray. For the recipients of these letters, those in the Galatian churches, there's words of rebuke, there's words of admonition, there's words uh, that are obviously expressing disapproval. But ultimately, there's also words of earnest desire to restore the believers to one true faith. And in the midst of this... Although Paul is speaking against the false teachers and trying to encourage the Galatian church, he also reveals his own personal reverence and, reverence and gratitude and humble honour of God and all God has done in, through and for him. Galatians 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now anyone who wants to discredit a leader, anyone who wants to discredit someone in the church, anyone who wants to discredit someone who is proclaiming truth will first and foremost speak or attack or deny the authority that that person has. They will question their reasons for speaking in the first place. And these churches in Galatians, in Galatia, have received the gospel message From Paul, and they received it with enthusiasm. They embraced it. They committed themselves to Christ. They committed themselves to Paul's teaching. And they believed exactly what he had said. But then something happened, and these false teachers came along, and everything began to change. And so, at the very opening of this letter, Paul takes the gloves off. And we may not see it as clearly as others who were reading this letter in the day would have. But he takes his gloves off and he states everything in a manner that cannot be misinterpreted. You cannot misinterpret the authority that he has to bring this message to them. Paul, an apostle. And this is Paul declaring his right to speak. He is a sent, commissioned ambassador, an an apostle in the deepest, richest sense of the word. He has been anointed, clothed in the power of Holy Spirit by Jesus himself, who called him and sent him to proclaim the message of the gospel. His call and apostleship is equal to the 12. In 1 Corinthians 15 he emphasizes that the resurrected Lord appeared to Peter or Cephas as it said there, then to the 12, then to more than 500 believers then to James and the apostles, and then Jesus appeared to Paul as well. And one of the defining marks of an apostle, one of the things they must have done is to have seen the risen Lord. And Paul expands on his God-given authority in verses 11 to 24 of this chapter, which we'll look at next week. But here Paul is saying, I am an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ with all of the requirements, with all of the qualifications that are needed to be called to that role. I am lacking nothing. And he's stating up front, my apostleship is genuine. And because it is genuine, then the message I bring, the gospel I proclaim is true regardless of what others may say. <clears throat> and Paul and his message is not from men or through men but it is from and through the Lord Jesus Christ and from God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Think about Paul's ministry as we know it. He did not appoint himself. He was not prayed over or had hands laid on him or commissioned by men at the start of his ministry, even though that did happen a few times throughout his ministry. But his call to apostleship was directly from Jesus. Jesus called Paul and set him apart. The message Paul proclaimed was given from God. He had no contact with the other apostles until well after he had begun his ministry. And Paul never missed the opportunity to speak about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He believes the gospel message is powerless without it. And so the unspoken truth is here. If Paul is an apostle, as he states... And if his message is commissioned and empowered by the Lord Jesus Christ, which we know to be true, then those who reject Paul and those who reject his message are actually rejecting Jesus. In turn... If Paul and his gospel message is rejected, then it is the message of Jesus and his commissioning of Paul that is also being rejected. And if they're going to reject that, then they're going to reject Jesus. And if they're rejecting Jesus, Jesus is one with the Father, they're also rejecting the one true God. And Paul doesn't take this lightly. And the matter has been discussed with those who are also with Paul. And in verse 2 it says, And all the brothers who are with me, Paul is very concerned for the Galatian church his desire is to have them return to the true faith and when he speaks of all the brothers here he is indicating that he is not on his own in his concern for the Galatians it is shared by all the brothers who are with him and he greets them paul says grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ and again we would read this and just think well that that's a wonderful Um, greeting to have to the church but there's a tension here. We need to think about how Paul greets in his other letters and when we think about Romans, he, he addresses those in the church as the beloved of God. When we think about 1 Corinthians, he says the sanctified in Christ Jesus. When we think about Ephesians, he says that they are the saints and believers and when we come to Galatians, there's no such qualifier here. Paul has little to praise the Galatians about. But he's not given up on them. His desire is for them to repent and to return to the one true faith. And so it is God's grace, as he said here, grace to you and peace from God. It is that undeserved favor of God, his loving kindness to all mankind. That Paul is praying onto the Galatians now. He wants God's blessing and grace to fall upon them. And he wants them to return to faith. And so Paul blesses them. And after this greeting... Paul gets into the heart of the matter and he says, There is no other gospel. And generally, uh, with these letters, when they're written at this time, after the greeting that, come, that we've just covered, uh, there'll be a few words that followed of thanksgiving, uh, a grateful acknowledgement to God, of the continued grace within those people, the recipients of the letter. And here, we have none of that. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. Verse 6 says, I am astonished that you so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and returning to a different gospel. Paul expresses his shock, his absolute amazement at the position of the Galatian church where they are right now in time. Think about who this is. This is Paul who even when rebuking people usually commends them before he actually brings out the point of error. And none of that happens in this letter. He dives straight in. And I think it's about as big a slap up the side of the head as you can get in a written document. And why has he taken this attitude? Why is this so different to his other letters? And it's because this is the gospel message that is at stake. The very heart of all true believers. This is Paul's greatest fear in his work and ministry. Think about what he says in 2 Corinthians 11, 3-4. Paul fears the many ways in which Satan tries to lead believers away from the one true faith. It is obvious that Satan would want to attack the very foundation of faith in Christianity, the doctrine of salvation. If he can create confusion, if he can create distraction, how will people come to God if they're not assured that that's the one way to go? How will they know forgiveness? How will they experience that if Satan can distract them and take them off in another direction? And think about the church that Paul is addressing. The false teachers have come in. They've spoken, questioning Paul's authority, questioning whether he truly is an apostle, questioning the message that he proclaimed. And they've made comments encouraging the Galatians, indicating that they're heading in the right direction. You've got it mostly right. But then if they want to be true believers, if you Galatians truly want to follow God, you have to be circumcised. You have to follow the Torah. And think about that. This is the way God's people have always done it. And for the uninitiated, it sounds plausible. It has this attractiveness to it. But as we read Scripture... We should pay attention to all the attempts that Satan makes to break down the church, to distract believers, to turn them away from the true faith. And as I speak about some of these things, I am sure that you would have experienced some of it in your own life, these whispers in your mind. Uh, You would have seen others who have fallen from faith as a result of some of these things. But Satan wants to break down. Believers. He wants to break down the unity we have in the church. And so he's going to lie about the church organization and structure. He's going to distort what is acceptable in Christian living. He's going to call you to do things that are good for you and not good for unity and for the church. He will speak against the return of Christ. But his greatest target, his greatest target, is the assurance that is gained through knowing salvation by grace he will do all he can to undermine the message of the cross and the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us and that's what's happening here that's what he's attacking but Paul says there is no other gospel there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ but there is no other gospel He wants them to know that that is the reality, that is the truth. There is no gospel other than the one that he proclaimed. And the gospel he presented is the one true gospel. He didn't miss anything out. There was nothing that needed to be added to that. There is nothing more required. Believe. If you will, Jesus came in the flesh. He died on the cross for your sins. Then he rose on the third day, proving he had victory over death and sin. He ascended into heaven. And now he's sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for us. And one day soon, he's going to come back and he's going to be with us. That is the gospel message. Nothing more. But Paul says, you need to be aware. There will be some who are going to come And they're going to distort that message. They're going to add things to it. They're going to put a slight twist on it. And some will be led astray. In the case of the Galatian church, they believed the right gospel. They believed what Paul had said. They embraced it. But then something happened. And Paul says, you were so foolish. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? And what he's saying is they had begun so well. Their faith was was spiritual. They'd received the gospel message that Paul proclaimed by faith. But now they were believing that their faith was not adequate, that there was something more that they needed. And so they had to add these things in order to be saved. They wanted to participate in these outward rites and ceremonies. They wanted to adhere to the crazy laws that the Jews were enforcing upon their people. But the gospel... And extras are totally incompatible. They were incompatible then, they're incompatible now. The gospel message remains true. And the Galatian church had moved from freedom in Christ to being back in bondage again. Their choices were not advancing them. They were not advancing the church. They were not advancing the gospel message. It was hindering all of that. Anything that is added to the true gospel Undercuts the power of the gospel message itself. We're talking about the true gospel. God's sovereign saving grace. When we add to what God has done, in this case, works and circumcision, it may be considered a small thing, but it undermines the very message of the gospel and is therefore no gospel message at all. And Paul goes to some length to explain how serious he is about this. If anyone, think about what he's saying, whether that be an angel, whether it be Paul, whether it be us, as in the other leaders of the church, if anyone comes to you, anyone at all, and they preach a gospel message which is counter to the one I originally proclaimed to you, let them be accursed. Paul says, even if I return to you, if I come back to you and I proclaim a message which is not the same message as I originally proclaimed to you, allow me to be accursed amongst you. Don't support anyone who brings a message that is different to what I first proclaimed. Paul cannot stand the thought of another gospel. He doesn't want anyone to be deceived. And so he takes these extraordinary steps. Some may come with fine-sounding words and may appear to have good intentions. But in calling them a curse, Paul is saying, "Have have nothing to do with them. If they're going to distort the one true message of the gospel, they are not worthy of our time or our consideration. These false teachers should not be believed or followed. In fact, Paul says that they're to be accursed. And this means they're to be devoted to destruction. Very harsh words but that's how serious this is. Anyone who distorts the gospel message should be devoted to destruction. They are to be left to God's judgment. We're to have nothing to do with these false teachers, regardless of their qualifications, their credentials, the history that they may have and present. To do so, to listen to them, to spend time with them, would be to tolerate a distorting of the true gospel. So how does this relate to us? I think there's a few things that are pretty obvious and I'll possibly steer clear of those things. But I want to ask you first and foremost, there's there's a question I want to ask you and I want you to seriously consider this. Are you believing a false gospel? And I know there's this built-in trigger and response which says, no way, that's not me, there is no way i would believe in a false gospel but here's the problem often we say we believe in something but the way we live shows that we believe in something totally different think about this dwell upon it for a little while will you think about where you are right now in christ i want you to Think about that fact. If you're a Christian and you say that you are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to think about how you got to that position. What was it that happened? What was it that occurred in order for you to be found in the very presence of God as one of his followers? What is it that makes you a Christian? And if you thought about anything, anything at all, that is not based on your faith in the finished work of jesus christ on the cross you're believing in a false gospel and again i don't think there'd be many of us who are hearing my voice who would have had their eyes open just now but let's take this just a little bit further I want you to think about those mountaintop experiences and I don't know about you but I've had a few of these and they're absolutely fantastic. You've just had this period of time where you've been reading God's word and you've been praying and you might have been engaging with others and singing songs of praise and worship and everything to God and it's truly euphoric. You feel like you're in the very presence of God. You're standing in glory with Him and that's an incredible experience. You've come to that place where you know that you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone and it's an awesome experience. It's almost like you're Superman or Superwoman all of a sudden. You're unstoppable in your faith. But now I want you to think about one of those bad times, one of those bad weeks. Those weeks where everything was a struggle. You started off perhaps by committing a sin, doing something wrong. And then it got progressively worse. You didn't go to God. You didn't pray. You didn't read the Bible as much as you normally would. And you had this terrible week as a result and you never felt further from God than what you did that week. I want you to ask yourself a question. Do you believe that at that time, in that terrible week, that God was further from you than he ever had been? That God couldn't forgive you for what you've done? And I've had many people come to me and say, if you knew what I did, you wouldn't even talk to me. If that's you, you're believing a false gospel. That's not the way our God is. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is the true gospel message. Jesus' death on the cross paid our sins once and for all. The sins we commit accidentally, the sins we commit unknowingly, the sins we commit deliberately. Jesus' death was enough for each and every one of them. He wants you to return to him and ask for his forgiveness. That's the reality of the gospel message that we proclaim. Our God is a loving and forgiving God. I don't fully understand it, but I know he accepts me back every time I come to him. I challenge you to do the same. I also want to ask you, do you defend the gospel message like Paul did, like Paul does in this book? Do you challenge your Christian friends who are perhaps not living the way they should to come back into line with what Scripture says? Or do you not do that because you want the approval of men? You want to be friends with people, you don't want to offend. Look at verse 10. Paul says, Am I seeking the approval of men or God? Am I trying to please men? If you're trying to please men, then why say you're a servant of God? We are called to proclaim the gospel to all nations, make disciples of all men, disciplined followers of Jesus. We have to get it out of our heads that the message we are commissioned and given to proclaim is something that is bad, something that we shouldn't be telling others about. Telling people about Jesus is the most loving thing that we can do for them. And every believer is called to do exactly that. So where are you in this? Are you someone who needs to pray to God to give you the boldness to proclaim the gospel message, the message you say you believe in? Have you been believing some things that make your gospel false and now you have some work to do with Jesus and ask him to forgive you and get you back on the right path? What about if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus as Lord and Saviour? I'd like you to consider that today. I'd like you to pursue truth. And if you need any questions answered, if you'd like to speak to someone about a life with Jesus, please contact our office. Um, Please feel free um, to, to hit that tab which says Get Connected and we would love to talk to you. Whoever you are, wherever you are in your journey towards God, we're available to help teaching you how to read scripture encouraging you to greater work for him if you contact us one of us will get back to you and overall i just want to say get to know the gospel message we say we proclaim read your word study it deeply know it well let's just close this time in prayer let's pray father god i thank you so much for the power of your word i thank you for that gospel message lord and i thank you that you called me you have called me your son and I thank you Lord that there's sons and daughters of the most high God that are hearing my voice and Lord I just pray that we'll get this new passion this new enthusiasm for your gospel message that we'll want to engage with that and Lord I just pray that you will reveal to us the things that we have to confess to you when we have been believing a false gospel Lord when we've engaged with things that are not of you Lord let us get rid of that and let us just focus on you and all that you've called us to and Lord, there's people hearing my voice who don't even know you. I pray that you'll reveal the truth of yourself to them, that they will come to know you in their own time, Lord. I pray that's tonight, Lord, but it may be some other time. And Lord, there's people hearing my voice who need help. I just ask by power of Holy Spirit, you'll strengthen them. You'll allow them to boldly step forward, Lord, and contact us so that we can engage with them. And we can help them, Lord, in whatever they need help in. More than anything, Lord, May people know your incredible love. May they know the grace that you pour out upon them so freely. May they know the forgiveness that they can experience in seeing Jesus Christ as completing all that was necessary on the cross for us. And that in calling him Lord and Saviour, we can have a life and life eternal with you. I pray this now, Father, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Thank you, one and all. God bless. Have an awesome week.